0: I had to build it from the ground up. Nobody let me work with dignity. I had to work a lot of bullshit jobs. Uh-huh. That does something to you psychologically. And does yeah. something to you confidence when you're being a fucking janitor. When you're fucking working at KFC.
1: Welcome to House Rich, the real estate show. We talk to average people that have done above average things in real estate. The sponsor for today's show is House Rich, the official brand of home ownership. Use promo code POD for a, a discounted checkout. And uh, for today's guest, I have a Charles Ogsby, aka Ty Capital, aka a bunch of other things, entrepreneurship, digital <laughs> entrepreneur, um, real estate investor. There's a bunch of things you can uh, uh, I can talk about them. But it is a very special episode to me because the reason, honestly, you probably listen to me is because of him. I mean, I got online probably like in March 2020, um, just messing around online, board during COVID. And I came across his page for some reason. And some reason it interested me enough that I googled his name to figure out if he had a podcast. And I started listening to the podcast, and I was like, it's podcast Tweet Talk. And I was like, wow, this is a pretty interesting show. And, and more importantly, him, him and his guest, Raphael, the, the conversations they had. And it was in the middle of you know COVID, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of political unrest in the middle of the Black Lives Matter. And his constant message was always, you can free yourself by being yourself and becoming an entrepreneurship and starting a business. And that message really struck a chord with me. And that kind of like flipped, honestly, my whole mindset as far as entrepreneurship. And, you know, am I somebody that could start a business? I thought I'd be like a just a W-2 guy uh, my whole life. So um, you kind of introduced yourself to the uh, folks, Charles?
0: Yeah. Uh, Charles Ogles will be also known as Todd Millionaire, Founder, and Director of the Todd Capital Investment Club. Uh, we grew that club to about 300 members and uh, started doing real estate. So then we uh, started doing group real estate. We owned about 10 doors out in Michigan. And uh, from there, I was able to build my own personal portfolio. So that's one of the things that I'm working on. But outside of that, my background is in finance. I have an undergrad degree in finance from Cal State San Bernardino. Um, member of 5 Beta Sigma Fraternity. I was the president of my chapter for two years and then went on to become NPHC president. I uh, did a lot of really cool things in college as a leader. I literally walked into the frat and became the vice president. Okay. so took on a leadership role immediately, but I was under uh, two like graduating seniors. So I was really like the president. And uh, so I did that for about a year, VP, then I became the president. And I learned so much about business. I learned so much about building a brand and kind of managing a platform that already existed. Because um, being a Sigma, you literally ran the campus in a lot of ways, like you walked in, you could throw parties, have people show up do community events, you got involved at the school and the politics. So uh, after I graduated, then I started working in finance. So I worked uh, as a financial advisor, Series 7, Series 66 financial advisor. From there, became a private banker. Um, With the private banker, I started working with clients who had over a quarter million dollars in assets or more. And then uh, at the same time that I was in law school, because I went back to school to get a law degree, I uh, worked at a family office. And so this is when I really got introduced to like wealth, wealth, wealth. Okay. And so one of the cool things about my story is it gradually increases over time. So I went from working for small people, IRAs, went from working with massive wealth management to working on blockbuster deals. So um, through all this, I realized I wasn't making Black people rich. I was making everybody else but Black people rich. I wanted to create a brand that Helped my people and served my people for a few reasons because we needed the most. And also because that's my most immediate market. The most immediate market is the people that know me, look like me. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where I got the largest impact. So I started the company called Tide Capital. And that's me, man.
1: Okay. Yeah. So that, that's dope. And that's one of the things I wanted to, to touch on was kind of your your journey and work here from backwards. So a lot of times you hear folks, sometimes folks are just thrown into entrepreneurship. Uh, sometimes folks, um, you know, they can't get a good job or they don't have the means to go to college, but you're, um, I mean, you've went to law school, and so you've, you're very, very well educated. And so, and I've kind of, you know, I've known your story from listening to your podcast. Would you say, kind of, in the working in that family office, is that when it clicked? When it's like, hey, I need to kind of go out and earn for myself.
0: Kind of, yes. Um, but I've always been an entrepreneur. Even okay. when I was working, I've always been an entrepreneur. I started when I was in college. We had a mobile car wash business. Mm-hmm. Um, I was selling. I was selling CDs in college. Okay. I was. Um, man, we had a t-shirt business that I started in college. And then the biggest thing we did once I finished is we started a party promotion company. So that was my first foray into real business because I actually had to invest money to get the flyers, book the venue, do all that stuff, bring in artists and do all of that. So for me, I wouldn't say that it clicked when I got to the family office, but what happened is I kind of hit a glass ceiling because I had gone to school all the way up until 30 years old Mm-hmm. And then I got to the point where like the bar just wasn't letting me get past.
1: Okay.
0: And so I had this conflict where I'm in California, I've taken the bar, I haven't passed the bar. so all these jobs want to keep me down at this level of compensation, mm-hmm. even though I've gone to school for so long. And I haven't told a lot of people this. But that's a big part of the reason why I went extra hard in entrepreneurship because I got to the point I was like, bruh, I got all this education, all this experience, all yeah. this background. And I'm not making the money that they said I was supposed to be making if I did all the stuff that I did. I played the game. I did the go to school, get a a good job, all that stuff. And I fell short. And so I had to close that gap with entrepreneurship.
1: And so what are some of the lessons you've kind of learned along the way? Because like I said, I know some people may see you as, you know, Todd, millionaire, Todd, billionaire, like this year, last year. But I know you've been working, like you said, for the last, um, at least from my perspective, the last four or five years towards entrepreneurship. Probably before that, what are some lessons you've kind of learned along the way from when you said, "Hey, I want to start this t-shirt business, start this party promotion business"? That you, that um, maybe people starting out from scratch can um, take from
0: um, your journey. Lean it, lean into your expertise. It's it's really trendy to do what everybody else is doing. We do it because it's it's maybe it's a little bit less risky. It's less risky to do something that somebody else is doing because you'll take less criticism for it. And so when I got out there, another one of the businesses that I started was a necktie company. Okay. And I tell people this story, but I'm at a wedding and um, I'm wearing one of my neckties and my cousin, she was dating some dude. She's probably on this Instagram live. I just saw her pop up. She was dating, no, actually her sister, she was dating some dude. And so I think somebody told him that I had a necktie company and his question to me was, oh, so you're into fashion. And I was like, I'm not into fashion, I'm into business. Mm-hmm. But what I realized is since I wasn't into fashion, even though I had the business mind, even though I had the capital to grow the business, I wasn't able to fully tap into everything that I could be and grow that business. So for example, I didn't know how to cut and design ties. Okay. I didn't know how to pick fabric. I didn't know how to create new designs. But if I did, if I had the fashion education, if I had worked in different fashion houses, if I did all that, I could be so much more effective. When I was selling ties, I ran across a guy named Manuel. He had a showroom or a fashion room in Hollywood. So I went out there to see him in Hollywood to see what ties he had. And this guy really studies fashion. So we had some dope stuff. Uh This guy had jean ties. This guy had like really innovative ties. And he's still around today. I saw him on TikTok. He's doing even more innovative things. My background was in finance. I have so much finance education that it gives me an edge on everybody else. And that's what allows me to be effective in entrepreneurship. That's what allows me to be creative in entrepreneurship. That's what allows me to go further than my competition in entrepreneurship. And that's what allows me to be better in business. So if you have, if you want to start a business, don't start a business. What you need to do is take your expertise and expand on your expertise. Okay. Whatever that expertise is, expand on that dig deep in that build multiple projects off of that expertise like I've seen you do you're into real estate mortgage financing now you have a podcast now you have merch plus you have content you're able to go deep into that lane because you know it, you love it you live it yeah, yeah. If you don't do that in your business your business is going to be a shell of what it could be and that's where you got to be just go deep down in what you're already good at nobody can ever touch me in finance and I don't want to be in nobody else's lane either I just stay in my lane of finance and we just out here.
1: So how would you, how would you recommend somebody identify the lane? Because I think sometimes it's easier said than done. Like my lane is just because I I do this for work. Sometimes people work a job just to make, to make money. Um, So how would you recommend someone identifies that lane? Because I know there's, some people say do what you love and you'll work for free, you know, that stuff. Or, and some people say, you know, you need to, to work to, to, to make a paycheck. Essentially, how do you identify that, that niche um, for people? Or how would you yeah. people
0: identify that niche? Um, honestly, I think the most important thing because a lot of us work jobs just to get a paycheck. Yeah. So if you look at my resume before I went to college, I was working all over the place. When I was in well, not not before I went to college, before I graduated from college. So I was in college. I worked at KFC because I still have my college, I still have my high school job. All right. When uh, when I went to college, I worked at KFC for a little bit. After I left KFC, I worked at Radio Shack. After I left Radio Shack to work for the school district, um, we had a week. We had a summer job because the school district closed during the year, and so they had us working as a janitor. I was doing janitorial work at one point in my life okay. in college. And then, as I started getting closer to the end of school, I had another job at the school district. But I also had some internships. After I had those internships, then once I graduated, then it was just firm, 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 firm. All I did was work for firms. It's going to sound maybe elitist, but I think that one of the most intelligent things you can do is take your degree and turn that into a business. So your lane is what you spent four years learning. If you have a degree in education, if you have a degree in accounting, if you have a degree in kinesiology, if you have a degree in nursing, take that and turn it into a business. If all you got from your college experience was a degree and a good job, you fell short. You're never going to pay off your student loans. If you're trying to pay off your student loans with your time, map it out. Law school ain't cheap, fam. If you map out an hourly rate versus what you owe, you'll never get there, but you can create a product and get there in a year. You can write an ebook and get there in a year. You can create a course and get there in a year. So the first thing is, what are you educated in? Why? You're Further ahead, I've taken finance classes nobody can even think about taking. Uh-huh. What are you certified in? Are you certified to be a home inspector? Are you certified to be a general contractor? Are you certified to be whatever? But you gotta take that and you gotta expand it outside of just doing the work. So I talked to my GCS, I was like, man, or even a wholesaler, like, why aren't you educating people on how to invest in your specific market? Why aren't you educating people on how to find deals? Mm-hmm. They think they can only make money by doing the work as opposed to educating people on how to do the work or even pass on the education that they have. The things that you pay for in college is really just like paying for your 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 education at wholesale. Uh-huh. And, and then you got to break it up into little baggies and start selling off your little baggies. That's what I do. People say, you got a lot of courses. Now I got a lot of product. I got a lot of baggies uh-huh. out there in the streets that are my knowledge packaged up that I'm selling. So I went to the plug. I paid 40, 50 grand to get <laughs> Let me get you these these little nuggets. So I think the education is the most important thing. Like you got to be educated and, and it doesn't have to be college education.
1: Okay.
0: It can be any form of education. Anything that you are so in love with, in deep with, that's what your business should be. But don't just be out there trying to sell t-shirts because everybody's selling t-shirts. Don't be out there trying to um, do whatever everybody else is doing unless it fits your lane. Mm-hmm. Your brand complements what you're doing. It's not all that you are doing. And so- once you've identified, thanks for that
1: breakdown. So once you've identified the niche, how do you actually go all in? So I know you have like a, a community, you have courses, you have a bunch of courses. How do you actually decide to go all in? Some people do coaching. Um, like how would you recommend folks decide to actually expand on that niche once they identify, identify it and actually monetize it?
0: And a few things, but I'll, I would say that we never really know. We just got to try out a lot of things and taste a lot of things. But the very first thing that you can do is give your gift away. And a lot of people don't want to do that. A lot of people, they are, their mentality is, okay, I spent 50 grand on the brick. Now you got to pay for the brick. I spent two, three years giving the brick away. Yeah. That's all I was doing. I was giving out free samples. I was giving out this. I was creating what I call a brand footprint. So once you discover what your gift is, you discover what your particular advantage is, give it away. What does that look like? That might look like a podcast. That might look like a blog. That might look like social media content. That might look like an ebook, a free ebook, a free checklist, all these different things because you don't know enough people yet. That's a form of advertising. That's a form of lead generation. You need to have people who can eventually do business with you. There are people who work with me today that have bought every single thing that I've released who came to me because I released some free stuff a long time ago. Uh-huh. And that's why I always talk about the investment club. The investment club was me giving my gift away. I didn't ask for nothing. I just wanted to prove that it could work. And it did work. Not only did people want to participate, but we also got a substantial return on our investment multiple years in a row. And people went off and they started doing their own thing. They started investing on their own and it was great. But you got to just start creating things that respond to needs that are out there. How do you find that? Look at what people are complaining about, man. What are people on the internet complaining about? Are they complaining about they're not being good schools? Create a tutoring company. Create a little weekend academy. Do something. Do something. You can do a virtual tutoring. You can do a virtual group tutoring. You have all this education. Why aren't you giving it back? Why aren't you figuring out different ways to package it up and give it away? So a lot of it is trying things out, testing things out, and willing to be new, willing to be innovative, willing to do something that nobody's ever seen before because that's the game. Yes. You don't make any money doing what's already been done. Nobody had done an options course before, and that's why mine took off. Yeah. If I would have hopped in, I would said, "Hey, I'm I'm just gonna do what I see Jay Morrison doing. I'm gonna do what I see this person doing." Now you're in the competition lane. Now you're in the red ocean. I don't want to compete. Wealth comes through co- creation, not through competition. So what are you creating that's never been seen that applies to your lane? Do that.
1: Yeah.
0: Do that. If it's already been done, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that. Find a different way to do it and then explode. Quite honestly, even podcasting the way that it's done now. That's kind of new because a lot of people are shifting to in-person stuff. And so they took a concept, took it in person, and now you start finding all these really cool things that you can adapt and implement into the podcast that you have the benefit when you do go in person. So when you do get out there, you start trying and creating and building different things. You're also going to find what you should be doing. So by me giving away so much game, now I have all the connections, all the experience to invest in, in Michigan on my own. So, there's a, it's a win win. You're either going to sure. get the experience or you're going to get the money. But you got to do something. You got to launch something out there, put it out there. I think the most important thing is to give it away. Find a way to give away your game. Maybe go live every single day and just answer mm-hmm. questions. Give it away. And that's how you're going to get those fans. That's how you can be in Detroit and you can walk past somebody and it's a complete stranger. They're like, What's up, Todd? You changed my life. Thank you. Sure. That's how you get there. You don't get there by taxing everything, everybody who wants to work with you.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting part, because I can't remember who I heard say it, but um, someone said that if you if you feel like you're giving away too much stuff, you don't know enough to begin with. So I think like you know, giving away the game helps you create more content and get better at what you're doing and put out put out more content uh, to begin with.
0: Yeah. So it's how do you like...
1: figure out when when something's not working? Because there's a fine line between quitting and giving up and knowing when to pivot just because something's not not working. So I know you probably experienced that in your. Um, your career kind of putting out a lot of product. I mean, I, I feel like I see a product from you like every two weeks, a different product. And so how do you figure out when to pivot, when to keep going?
0: The numbers. Okay. The numbers tell you. Um, I knew that the numbers and the reviews, you want people to say that they used your product, they had success and here, the, here are the results. So it's the numbers. Everything's driven by the numbers. So for example, I knew that I had something when Somebody took my course and made as much money the next day as they made and bang for the course. Okay. I knew I had something then. And then I knew I had something when the numbers just started falling all over themselves and I was getting multiple sales, multiple sales, multiple sales. So with the investment club, I knew I had something because everybody wanted to participate. Everybody was excited about it. Everyone was talking about it. And that demand kind of pushed us into real estate. I didn't come in like, hey, let's buy real estate. They were like, nah, we need to buy some real estate. What are we doing? What's next? Uh-huh. So the numbers are going to determine it. And I think that that's important because a lot of people like to figure out if it's going to work before they launch it. Gotcha. They like to do all the due diligence, all of the critical thinking before they launch. Like, this is going to work. I know this is going to work, but you never know if it's going to work until you put it out to market. The people are going to tell you what's popping. So... Launch everything, put it all out there, and then let the numbers tell you if it's hot or not. And then once you find out what's hot, go all in on that. Double down on that. And so I I believe that launching products is kind of like how VCs invest. VCs invest where they they buy 10 different products. They're going to invest in 10 different companies. You need to launch 10 different products. Find out what sticks. And when you find out what sticks, boom, that's your unicorn. But what a lot of people do is they won't launch it unless they think that it's going to be a unicorn. Now, what happens if you put something out there that you put all this effort and energy into and it flops? You just wasted six months to a year. I don't think you should do that. I think that's why you should, it's kind of like the lean startup method or the minimum viable product method. Put something out there, see if it flies. Will this fly?
1: You know, I'll give a good example. So, like uh, like I said, I came across you about sometime March 2020. Um, due to options, probably. I can't remember exactly what. And so um I never bought a digital product from anybody in my life. Obviously, you were a stranger. I had no idea who you were. And so um, you introduced me to options. Uh, you know, I ran to YouTube and I, I looked up what I could look up because I was like, am I going to pay a stranger? I think it was like $97 or something. Maybe maybe I got it on sale. Who knows for a, a product. And but I just I kept seeing you in my feed. I kept seeing you in my feed, And I was like, he's put out so much stuff. Even if this course is horrible. I've got I've got my money's worth from all the free games he's put out. So yeah, that, that's another testament to just putting out free. And the course, not, was not horrible, but, by the way. It was, it was well worth the money. I can't remember what I paid for but uh, yeah, it was, it was well worth the money, even if it was $97 um, that, I, that I got it for at the time. And so you kind of, I know you became um, a father, I guess, relatively recent since, since I've kind of known about you within the last year and a half. I'm not sure how old your son is, um, sorry. Yeah, um,
0: March of 2020. I've been oh, okay, so yeah, yeah, March of 2020, two I guess
1: right, right when I started following you then. Um, Can you talk about, um, you know, building a business and building kind of like a legacy as well? I know you um, kind of have your son on payroll as part of the business as well, so he doesn't have to work for anybody if he doesn't Mm -hmm. want to.
0: So I don't actually have my son on payroll yet. I don't do that whole, like people, some people do that. They're like, oh, uh, do this It's a tax incentive. Sometimes you just got to do it because it's right, not because it's a tax incentive. Yeah, yeah. So for me, I've just been funneling a lot of money into accounts that are for his benefit.
1: Okay, yeah that's kind of what i meant
0: yeah, yeah and and then also i've been uh purchasing assets that are for his benefit so um, we have one home that's a rental property um, a lot of money in stocks and um that's kind of his portfolio now is stocks and real estate and uh but what's cool is he's doing a lot better than most he's doing a lot better than i was doing at two years old <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's a for me i think it's a flip a switch that flipped when my life became about something that was bigger than me and and i actually became responsible for another human being mm-hmm. and my mindset shifted in a lot of ways my mindset shifted from i can't do a lot of free stuff anymore i got to start charging folks okay and so i think i went heavy into monetization once he became here because my my strategy prior to him was i want to help everybody else make money yeah and so everything that I was doing was focused on pr- promoting other people's brands and helping other people find opportunities. And I think I did it because I was kind of like maybe scared. Okay, I didn't think that I could put my stuff out there and I didn't want to take the criticism. I didn't think I was as good as maybe Terry or um, Aisha Seldon and I didn't want them to see me. I didn't want them to think that like, I thought I was on their level. And then when my son came along, I didn't care no more. Cause they ain't, putting my son through school. Yeah, yeah. Terry kind of has put my son through school, but she's done it through partnership. All right. Because I'm an affiliate for her and all the money that i made through her, I passed to him. And so it was just a switch for me. It was a switch and it just let me know that it was go time. I had children late in life. I had a son when I was 33. And it was interesting because my parents always kind of looked like, when are you going to take off? When are you going to take off? Because they had us really young. My mom had me when she was 20. And my dad, he was about 24.
1: Okay.
0: And so what was interesting is, and like, because they've always had that grind. And so I thought there was something wrong with me because we didn't have a home yet or because we weren't doing certain things. Maybe we should have been doing, like, life insurance. Like, life insurance wasn't a big deal to me when I was, like, when I was single, no, when I was married. Like, single, no kids, but even married, no kids. Like, life insurance wasn't a big deal. And I think that having a child grew me up it just happened that I had a child really late. Okay. So I grew up kind of late, but I'm happy that it happened because again, it, it lit a fire under me. It, it let me know that I live for Nolan Oglesby. I don't live for anybody else anymore. Anybody else, anybody else. I had an issue with a close family member. Um, and I was like, I don't got time to deal with this. I really, I don't have time to be involved in whatever you got going on. But prior to my son, I would have stepped in and tried to save them from their own mess. I don't have time to do anymore. I have to take care of my family and my son. So it's definitely a blessing. We've been able to do a lot of really cool things. But I think one of the coolest things is last night. I was um, he he likes to go and sit at my desk, uh, the home office. He loves going in the home office, typing on the computer, sitting in the chair. And um, so I picked him up, and I was like, "All right, work's done for the day." Um, where it's done for the day. But I was like, thanks for doing what you do because the business couldn't run without you. Mm-hmm. And it was just cool knowing that I am able to pass something to him Yeah, where from day one, he's working in a business and we're doing real estate deals or we're creating products and helping people or we're putting on seminars. We're doing all these different things. And he just walks into it. He walks into a million dollar business yeah. without having to work from the ground up without having to kiss ass, without having to not get paid because he's working in the business that he effectively owns. Yeah. So it's yours. And I thought that was so cool because nobody did that for me. Yeah. Nobody passed me a business. I had to build it from the ground up. Nobody let me work with dignity. I had to work a lot of bullshit jobs. Uh-huh. That does something to you psychologically and yeah. something to your confidence when you're being a fucking janitor when you're fucking working at KFC, when you're having crappy jobs that they won't promote you at it, they won't give you a raise and my son will never have to deal with that. So that's what entrepreneurship is about to me. It's about dignity. It has the, the watches, the cars, the trips are cool. It's about dignity. It's about walking in places with your head high, walking in places knowing that nobody could fuck with you in there. Because i still be in places. I was in, I forgot where I was. And um. A dude gets out of an elevator and uh, he was a Jewish dude. He had on like the, the full Jewish fit. And like the way he kind of walked past me was kind of arrogant. And I was like, bro, like we the same. We both in business. Yeah. yeah. You got a business. I got a business. We peers, fam. Uh-huh. But if imagine if I was coming in for a job, then it would be, it, it would just be a way different dynamic. Yeah. And so that, that's what it's about. Even like the, the cool thing about it is like, yeah, the money that I'm putting aside is for him but not nah, all the money that I got for myself that's invested in doing all these things is for him too. The house that we have is for him too. Everything is for him. And I think that that's what life is about, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that, that freedom. Cause um, like you said, the, the best financial freedom, financial freedom is freedom. You know, you don't have to go to anybody for a job and you have to worry about, you know, hat in hand or, you know, um, you know, code and all that. When you, when you're free, you're free. Um, What do you say to folks that would kind of say that not that folks just struggle, but you shouldn't give, um your son all of this up front because he won't he won't know how to work for stuff in, in the future. What do you say to folks that kind of have have that mentality? They kind of hold back stuff from their um from their family members sometimes.
0: I would be curious if they're speaking from a place of experience. Okay. I want to know if there's somebody who actually had the opportunity to even pass down wealth in the first place. Cause a lot of folks give you advice based off of pure speculation or what maybe they've seen happen.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But what I've seen one of the cool things about working in finance is you get access and you get exposure and that exposure helps you. <clears throat> and what I've seen is the people that would have money and provide opportunities for their children, but also instill certain values in them thrive. Okay. Those are the people that win.
1: Yeah, it's not, yeah.
0: You don't see a lot of ground up stuff in the hood. The yeah. president ain't ground up. The prior president wasn't ground up and they still accomplish great things. Yeah. So it's possible to accomplish great things and also not have to struggle. But you got to do it the right way. You got to instill work ethic. You also got to model work ethic. You have to yes. instill good values. You also have to model good values. You can't be the parent that's saying, do as I say, not as I do. No, you yes. got to be like, do as I'm doing. And I think a lot of folks who may- maybe don't come from it, that's their motto is, yeah, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to watch TV all night, but you go do homework. Yes. You go do this. You go be great. I'm going to act the ass at the grocery store, but you go be good at school. I'm going to do all these different things that don't model that behavior. So it's not about the struggle. It's not about any of that. It's about what are you instilling? Because if you look at the most successful people, I'm telling you, Bill Gates, if you do your research, his dad was an attorney out of Harvard. If you look at... um, Jeff Bezos, he came from Bray. You look at Warren Buffett, he came from bread. His whole family, they had a grocery store. They were doing all right. Mm-hmm. They had their own business. You actually do your children a disservice by making them struggle, by not allowing them to go to different camps, not allowing them to get that extra help, yeah. not allowing them to go to those different places and making them work a dumbass job. Yeah. <laughs> Focus on school. One of the things that I noticed when I was in college Was the Asian kids didn't work at all. Mm -hmm. Their responsibility was to get A's. And so we're over here like, they're so smart. Asians are smart. They understand math. No, they got one job and one job only, and that's get A's. Mm -hmm. Get A's and do extracurricular activities that are gonna get you into a good college. And oh, when you do get into a good college, your job is still to get A's. Their first job ain't until they actually become an attorney or become a doctor or become all these different things. And so I'm not, I'm, my mentality isn't based off of speculation, isn't based off of TV, isn't based off of movies. My mentality is seeing people do it, yeah. where I'm working in a family office, the dad's in his 70s, the son's in his 50s, and the 70-year-old dad is signing loans for his son's business, his son's 50, mm-hmm. or I'm working in a personal injury law firm, and the dad gives us an office space to start his business out of and rent his business and then also backs him and bankrolls him and also gives him access to his network. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. I'm not trying to do no it from the bottom. Now we hear stuff. Y'all can do it. I'm not going to do it, but I know it's not just money. Money's a piece, Yeah, but you got to also have those values network that they can in them. And I think that's possible because they won't know any different. The thing mm-hmm. about kids, is they don't know any different. And also, if you put them in good spaces with other good kids who don't know any different, all they know is be great, be great, be great. Yeah. All they know is we we get home we study. If you don't let them do the bullshit, they never are gonna engage in the bullshit. And that's yeah. why I'm.
1: Yeah, but see, I think that's an excellent point because I think also you know you being more than stable financially, but just somebody that's stable financially, it gives their kids a lot of runway. Like personally, I bought I bought my home my first home at 21 because my dad told me to do it because they own property. Now, I bought a home when I moved here to Dallas after being here for like 11 months because I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew that if something went awry, also I knew my parents could help me out. If I if I, something happened, I knew my parents could, could, you know, most likely help me out. I've never asked my parents for money ever in my life, but I think I know in the back of my mind that if something went wrong, they would at least be able to help me out. Worst case scenario, I can move back home. So I know just that, you know, having that, um, that safety that helps you make, you know, you know, riskier decisions than thinking that, oh, if I, if I take this leap, things might go awry, and then what happens next? Um, so I kind of want to jump into the the real estate a little a little bit more now. So which came first, like the kind of like the digital empire or the or the real estate um you started to kind of build out in Detroit.
0: So you know what's interesting is the real estate came first. Okay. Um yes, yeah, so that's answered that question, whatever the follow-up is, but the real estate came first.
1: <laughs> okay. Um and so okay, so what inspired you to get to get into real estate? I know you first started investing in the Tory. I mean, that, that's where you are now. Is that where you started at as well?
0: Yeah. We, um. what inspired real estate was just trying to find a way to get out of the rat race, really um, working this day job, trying different things out and uh, stumbled across the Bigger Pockets podcast. Okay. So I started listening to Bigger Pockets, binging Bigger Pockets. And I've always kind of known that I needed to get involved in real estate. It's always seemed out of touch. And my strategy was work, like go get your education, get your money up, get a great paying job, and then start using that money to invest in real estate. And uh, the bar was just holding me back. I was like, bro, like the bar is just not letting me get through. So I had to find a way to get into real estate without using my own money or without having to be rich already. So just started doing a bunch of education, reading. I know I wanted to be there. And uh, I knew I had a bunch of social media followers who understood, like, who kind of believed what I believed. And I think that's one of the cool things about social media is in your inner circle, they might not believe. In your inner circle, they might not see. Your friends and family, they might not get it. Uh But there are a bunch of strangers on the Internet that Mm -hmm. collectively get it. Mm -hmm that you don't have to explain to them that real estate works. I don't have to explain to you that real estate works. i am got to explain to Andre that real estate works. I've right. to explain to Eric, I don't explain to any of these people, but we're not all in the same place. And so that's the power of the internet is it allows you to pick people from all over the globe and then bring them all in one place and then build something. So we did that and uh, it was going really well. COVID happened. And uh, then it, it kind of stopped doing well towards the end. Okay. But As I was learning and doing, I was able to start teaching. And so the goal was never to be a teacher because I never wanted to be that guy who is like, oh, those who can't do teach. I wanted to just like prove that I could do.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so while I was doing and proving that I could do, opportunities came along to teach on other people's platform. Because, again, I didn't have the confidence in myself to put myself out there and build my own platform. Mm -hmm. I Kind of got pushed into it. So I was teaching on other people's platforms. Uh, Hood Estates, I taught for them. Okay. Uh, Black Business School, I taught for them. And then when I started to get the confidence, I was like, hey, I could probably do this for myself now. Like, people actually want to hear what I have to say. Like, maybe I'm smart. I don't know. Because you work these jobs and these jobs, they don't make you feel like you all that great.
1: Yeah.
0: So if you're only getting your confidence from the job, you probably feel like you ain't shit. You got to go out to the world. You got to go out to social media where they're going to tell you that you're the GOAT. We're going to tell you that you're all these great things. And then it's like a conflict because you have the world telling you that you're just crushing it. Amazing. So cool. Todd, Billy, you go to the job and like, no, we ain't giving you a raise. You ain't shit. You showed up late and blah, blah, blah. So for me, it was like, it's tough to have confidence. If you're getting all your confidence from your boss, because he ain't going, he's not going to instill confidence in you. He's actually going to instill doubt in you. They've done it on purpose. I knew it. Why? Because it's profitable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't dislike you. They are in business to make a profit. And if you start feeling yourself a little bit too much, even if you deserve to feel yourself, it affects their bottom line. So they got to keep you down.
1: It makes sense. Um, and so you kind of talked about in the beginning, you got into, it looks like the group economics. You didn't want to use your own money. Like, how are you actually financing the deals? Were you, were you pulling the money? Or how did you go about financing those deals?
0: I was broke okay <laughs> i didn't i didn't i was working a day job in california scraping by man so we came across this deal well how would i how would i say it? we so let's say this we came across a deal it was in highland california and uh, we definitely fumbled the bag on this one highland california we came across a property it was selling for like forty thousand dollars two-bedroom right. condo in california I haven't looked at the values of these homes lately, but I need to double check. But the kicker was because the complex was over like 50% renters, they wouldn't allow you to finance it. So you had to buy it in cash. Gotcha. So I'm like, I definitely, I don't, I don't even got, I was trying to just put a FHA down payment on that thing. I was trying to put 3% down. Uh (laughs) I was like, I damn still don't got 50 grand for this thing.
1: Yeah.
0: So I'm in law school still. And uh, one of my friends, she's in real estate. She was like a real estate broker. She doesn't do that anymore, but she's a real estate broker. And she was like, well, why don't you just like find a bunch of people with $10,000 and you guys pull it all together and just buy it? And I was like, I didn't think about that, but that's really smart.
1: It makes perfect sense here.
0: So went out, started talking to people on social media. And I was like, hey, we're going to buy this house. Let's get in the call and talk about this. $10,000 a piece. We had the call. Everybody's all excited. Came time to put the money up and nobody had the money. (laughs) Nobody had the money. Uh And so we was like, all right, back to the drawing board. (laughs) And um, by that time, that house had sold. And we started looking at other deals across the country to try to find financing because it's like, all right, well, we aren't going to be able to get the 50 grand. We thought, let's maybe see if we can just pull the money, get an FHA loan, go to a better market. So we started looking all across the country. Okay. We looked in every single market. We looked in Texas. We looked in Baltimore. We looked in Philly. We looked in Florida. We looked all over the place, and uh, we found something in Atlanta. It made sense, but people were just scared. Okay. So, like it came time to buy the house, and people are asking dumbass questions about like stuff that's really not relevant to the deal. Like stuff that you look at. It was a, It was honestly that it, that property was a, a steal. Yeah. I want to say it's probably tripled in value now. It's a $50,000 condo in Atlanta that does not exist in, California, in, in Atlanta anymore.
1: Yeah.
0: And we were afraid of broken windows, a stain on the carpet, and, like, some some drywall that somebody, like, ran into. Really minor stuff. Yeah, trying to talk yourself out the deal, basically. Yeah. Yeah, so people just got scared, talked themselves out of the deal. And so what I found is I have to be a leader and just make it happen. Otherwise... You have all these voices, all these people who are participating. They're going to do nothing but ruin it. Back to the drawing board. Need to find an even more cash-friendly market. Stumbled upon Detroit, and um, I went on to a Facebook group, and I was like, hey, who is here is investing in Detroit? Ran into a dude. His name was Kelvin, and he was like, I own, like, 10 properties out here, maybe more than that, probably, like, 20 now. Okay. So I was thinking, I was like, all right, you don't just buy 20 properties if it's not a good investment. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And uh, then I was on a Jay Morrison, uh, like, conference call, and somebody else was like, yeah, I own, like, 12 homes in Detroit. So I was like, maybe there might be something to this whole Detroit thing. Like, I want to build an empire. I want to buy a bunch of homes, not just one home and just be sitting in my one home. So we started looking at Detroit, and we found – we were just looking, 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 looking. I think I contacted a bunch of wholesalers, and we found this house. I want to say the house was, like, fifteen grand. Okay. Okay. And uh, didn't require much rehab. Old lady lived there. Great looking house. $15,000 house. Great house. And really, all it needed was like to clean the carpet, clean the house, and take the trash out. Because there was like a bunch of junk in the house. So we buy the house. And what we do is we just say, all right, $1,000 a person. So we had like 15 people. We put $1,000 in. We bought the house. Now we're landlords. Look at us. And um. Put a tenant in there. It worked out. We got that. It was a really cool experience. So we're like, all right, well, somebody's actually willing to rent this $15,000 house because I'm from California. Like, I think $15,000 house, who would actually want to live there? That's a closet. Why wouldn't you just buy it? Yeah. And, and they did it. And they did it. And I was like, wow, like, this is really working. And so we bought a second one. The second one required a little bit more rehab uh-huh. because we, we were like, all right, we figured out that we can do a little bit of rehab. So the second one was like a cosmetic rehab. All we really did was like paint it putting new floors and carpet in there. Um, and that was really, good. I think we might've upgraded the electrical and the plumbing. I think actually, I don't think we did. I'm not sure. Maybe we did. We spent like 10 grand on the rehab, very yes. light rehab and, uh, rented out and that worked. Oh, like, this is great. Okay. The third house might've been from the land bank and that was a doozy. Um, that required a bunch of money and permits and it was just a crazy experience, but, Through that experience, I learned that a lot of real estate really is a dollar figure. So we bought, like, a land bank house is usually a really, really run down house. We bought Mm -hmm. the house for, like, $2,000. Okay. And it's a full gut rehab, needed new roof, new electrical, new plumbing, new HVAC, new kitchen, new bathroom. But if you look at it, it just looked terrible. It had, like, vines growing on it. The paint on the inside was peeling off. Like, if you looked at it, it, it looked scary. that house today it's just an amazing house so throughout this process we're just like stretching and growing but it was all just us coming together putting whatever we had and just growing it but the cool thing about it now is i had all that experience and now i do it on my own okay now i buy deals on my own now i do flips on my own so that's the goal the point of that project wasn't to get rich the point of that project was to get experience and learn how to be a landlord learn how to own some stuff because prior to that I don't know anybody who owns 10 properties. Yeah, Nobody yeah. in my family owns 10 properties, but I do. I'm yeah. a part of a group that does. I helped acquire 10 properties and now going forward at 35, I can do whatever I want to do based on that experience. A lot of folks don't want to do things just for experience or just for a little bit of money. They're yeah. like $15,000. What am I going to make off this house? You ain't going to make nothing. Get involved, learn something. A lot of people, they're just like, I'm just waiting for my little check. You can't get no real return off of $1,000. yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, it goes back like, to
1: working for free, like you said in the beginning. Yeah, it's, it's essentially really working just, for free at that point almost. It's
0: right. It's just working for you, getting that experience.
1: And so how how do you go about structuring a deal with 15 people, 15 different personalities, and make sure that one person is like, I want my money back, one person, hey, I don't want to sell because you know everyone's on the deed and all that? Like, how do you go about structuring a deal with multiple people?
0: So to protect against that, what we did is we kind of created um what I call a GPLP. So like a lot of projects are structured like that. So, so people could come and go. What,
1: we didn't what does want that stand for, so? I'm sorry? What's that stand for, GPLP?
0: So a general partner. It's like a general partnership. Okay. You have a general partnership where you have the general partner that owns the asset, and you have limited, limited partners inside of the deed or inside of the project. So it's kind of confusing, but this is essentially how... Who does it like this? What is it? Like bcs like venture capitalists and private equity firms, they do this. And so all their people are just LPs. Okay. So you have this agreement that's a general partnership agreement saying we're gonna buy this asset, and this asset is gonna be owned by this entity. And based off of the project, the profits will flow to you through this way and that. So everybody's not necessarily an owner, the LLC owns the asset. Okay. They're a partnership partnership in the project where the LLC owns the asset. So We would do something like, I forgot how how we're naming them. It could be like TIE Capital Griggs, TIE Capital Oakman, TIE Capital this. And that's the name of the LLC that owns it. And then the general partnership is like, whatever the name of the general partnership is, GP1. Gotcha. And then you have the general partnership agreement. And the reason why you do that, and then within that agreement, you basically say like, hey, this person is the manager and they make the decisions going forward. And it's not because they're a jerk and they're rude. It's like, we can't make decisions if we got to ask 15 people if we can replace a hot water heater. We can't make decisions if we got to ask 15 people if we should bring this in or not. We just got to move forward and and hope that the person that we're working with has our best interest at heart, which they do. So that was how you would do it. Um, And then it gets really complicated. Like, it's really like, honestly, on the outside, it sounds simple. You get into the nitty gritty it's a lot because then you start having to deal with taxes and then you have um, 1099s and K1s and yeah. it's it, like different. It was, it's, it's a mess. So quite honestly, that's honestly why I like doing it on my own now, mm-hmm. easier, simpler. And that's also why I like the digital products business because you can make more money faster with less stress with that less capital.
1: So- Okay. Yeah. Make, makes sense. Um, and so as far as like you're doing it your own right now, you're rehabbing these properties that are just, you know, um, that, that look bad to begin with. How do you go about identifying or building your team? Was that from when you first started with like those small deals or how do you identify team contractors, you know, property managers and all that out there in Detroit while you're, you know, out in Cali?
0: Yeah. Uh, Long distance real estate investing. You need a few people on your team. <clears throat> Most importantly, you need boots on the ground. You need somebody that can show up and just do little things. So sometimes I'll have people come take pictures for me. Sometimes I'll have people, I don't know, winterize a property for me, do things like that. Be there if I need to have an inspection, put a lockbox on there. That's one of the things. Lockboxes are key because you need to have, you have to be able to give somebody access to the property without you being there. So honestly, long distance real estate investing taught me how to be an entrepreneur taught me how to get things uh-huh. done without being present and you're kind of forced to do that because you can't be there yeah so you're going to need uh, i think a team of wholesalers or a team of real estate agents to help you understand the value of a market to help you bring in deals you're definitely going to need a contractor a gc you're gonna need a handyman for the little stuff that's not heavy construction work and then there's also going to be Uh, probably going to need an attorney you're going to need a title company
1: okay
0: things like that but it's really just putting together a team and managing it granted that team might change people are going to come and people are going to go um it helps to also visit the location every now and then like you don't just want to be 100 remote so i've been to and i continue to go to detroit multiple times a year wasn't always like that but i've had to kind of go there more often covid in the beginning, COVID was cool. When the government was pumping all that money into the world, it was cool. Later into COVID, it kind of slowed down and tenants started to not want to pay. Mm-hmm. I got kind of dismayed from even doing the real estate. So I hired a property manager and she effed stuff up. Okay. But now I'm going to get it back and get it back into where it needs to be. Because a lot of people won't run your business like you'll run your business. Yeah. But really, it's just a team. Putting together that team and just running the play.
1: So how do you go about vetting those people? Because I assume we didn't meet them in person before we hired them. Or did you meet those folks in person before you hired them? I don't,
0: I don't meet a lot of people in person before I hire them. Okay. Um, but a lot of it is just having that phone conversation. We gotcha. go through a lot of referrals. So I'm working with people who um, come to me through other people. And I guess talking to multiple people before you even decide on one. So I don't want to just talk to one contractor. I don't want to just talk to one electrician. I don't want to just talk to one plumber. None of that. So a lot of people have the rule of three, where you talk to three of one person, and then you get your, your, uh, your team, and that's important because then you can use that bid against them. Because some people are just highball you. There's this thing called the out-of-state premium or the California premium, where if Jesus paying LeBron, yeah. <laughs> Homer paying Dwayne Wade, so they'll tax you double what they'll pay you um, if you actually live there. Uh-huh. The real hack though is to get past the GC and go direct to the labor. Because when you live long distance, people are just, G, they'll just GC anything. They'll middleman anything. You, you ask somebody who has no experience doing any of this stuff, hey, can you get this done? They're going to tell you yes. And then they're going to go have, they're going to go ask a bunch of people like, who do you know who can do this?
1: Yeah, then tax you with it. So, yeah. Right.
0: And then you're paying double. So you got to get your boots on the ground. And you got to start actually making the connections with people that are there just because it's just a smarter way to do business but i think the most important thing is to establish that that mentor i wouldn't recommend you doing anything unless you are working with somebody who's already done it gotcha. because they're gonna they're gonna spin you around in circles <clears throat> and so the mentor was the first piece for me is get the mentor and then start getting everybody else in place
1: okay appreciate it now, when i want to jump back into the uh digital space sort of um before we kind of wrap things up and so one thing I kind of know about you—you're you're big, big, and undervalued product. So um, I know back in in COVID when COVID hit, you know, like uh, rates SPG, you know, that was super low. What kind of, what kind of made you invest in in like rates and stuff when the world was was kind of running the other way? Was that the yeah. reason you invested?
0: Experience and being somebody who's been in the market for a long time. It's interesting to me because people knew that people who bought after the last recession made a lot of money. And so they were just counting on another recession. Erica Williams is big on this. Erica Williams would always forecast like it's another recession coming. It's another recession coming. And people would get so hyped, like, Oh, I can't wait for the recession. And <clears throat> when I was working at, at uh, the financial advising company, I saw people buying stocks off of the low and making a fortune. hmm and I knew that whenever I saw that opportunity come up, I was going to go all in. That's one piece. The other is I've been I've been an investor for a long time, and being an investor, you try different things. Some things work, some things don't work. So I would be the guy who would buy the hype stock. I would be the guy who would buy what everybody was telling me to buy. I would be the guy who was buying the green stuff, and I would always lose money. And it actually happened to me recently. People said. FinTech is where it's at. They said, uh-huh. invest in Square. You can't lose. I bought Square. I'm down 40%. Uh-huh. But everything I bought, I'm winning. I bought ExxonMobil when everybody was saying that there was like this huge oil crisis and I, I made 30 grand uh-huh. off of just one stock. I put 50 grand in, made 30 grand on top. I got 80 and I get a pretty nice dividend from Exxon. Yeah. It paid about $1,000 a quarter. So it, it really is just experience. And that's how you invest. If it's not distressed, it's not an investment.
1: Gotcha.
0: You don't go and buy somebody's flip and call yourself an investor. That's not how it works. Even when you buy your single family home, when we bought our single family home, we bought it where there was nothing at yet. Why? Because we're positioning ourselves for the the equity. We're positioning ourselves for the improvement. I don't want to go and compete for a house in Newport Beach. Granted, if you do buy a house in Newport Beach, a lot of those homes are appreciated in value. California is still lit. But for me... I'm going to get the most value for my buck, buying the distress, buying the ugly, buying the stuff that people are telling me not to buy. That's why we bought in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And these, I tell, I tell people that these investment principles are translatable across multiple asset classes. So the same way that you buy a single family home is the same way you buy an apartment complex, the same way you buy a stock. Cause the same way you buy a business, the same way you buy all these different things is you're looking for a deal. A lot of times deals follow bad news, not good news. Yeah. And so for me, it was just a no brainer.
1: Okay. Appreciate it. Um, Appreciate your time. I always ask one last question to my guests. Um, So let's say for some reason you had, um, you have seven days to spend a million dollars on something real estate adjacent. Only seven days. You got to spend all of it or you lose the money. What would you do with it?
0: Man, that's tough. But what I would probably do is where I live in the Inland Empire, there's a ton of opportunity in land and not even land in the sense of like, hey, I'm just going to buy it and wholesale off to the next man. I think there's opportunity to buy stuff and build because you have so much here, but there's still I just I just have a feeling that we could just do so much. But my biggest thing is affordable housing. Okay. There's a demand for affordable housing, and I don't know why nobody's trying to take it on. And so for me, I, I see that land as an opportunity to acquire land and build some affordable housing and be a disruptor. Because a large part of the reason why there is no affordable housing is because the people who would do it won't do it because they All have right. a vested interest in it not being affordable. So that's why you need disruptors. That's why you need outsiders to come in and rebalance things. Because the people who are already in it, the people who, the people when, when, when Tesla came on the scene, they got a bunch of criticism. Why? Yeah. Because there's people getting a bunch of oil money. And if Tesla does well, the oil money is not going to do well. So you're not going to have people who are selling oil or selling cars that function off of oil and gasoline over here innovating themselves into obsolescence. Yeah. But Elon Musk will. And so that's who I want to be. I want to be the Elon Musk of affordable housing. I want to be the Elon Musk that builds housing that makes sense. And it's going to be, have to be, it's going to have to be done creatively. Uh And so the current dogma, the current mentality that people say, you can't do that here. That won't work here. That's the stuff that you got to do. You got to do the stuff where they have all the good reasons in the world why you can't do it. I told somebody, I was like, man, We have all these warehouses, no affordable housing, but we got two-story warehouses. Why are we not building units on top of these? His response is, oh, it's because of noise. Well, we solved the noise problem.
1: Yeah.
0: We don't not do it because there's a noise problem. And that's what I'm on. That's what I want to be on. That's how you build a massive legacy is when you start solving massive problems. If you want to build a massive legacy, solve a massive problem for profit.
1: Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. That's a good note to uh, end
0: it on. So
1: where can the folks um, find you at? I know you got a bunch of products, but, you know, where where can the folks find you at? You know, maybe some of the products that may help the audience. I need to tie
0: all my stuff into something cool. But the number one place to start is the link in the bio at Todd.Capital on Instagram. You can also go to www.affordablefinedu.com. And that's really the place check gotcha. out the podcast the millionaire talk show We're coming up on 200 episodes check out the Tweet talk podcast we are at around like 115 episodes we just talk a lot of shit yeah. we got to get you on the show man we got to get you on the show to talk about your background and talk about your tweets and talk about these dope tiktoks you be creating, man i
1: oh, appreciate it i love it come on appreciate it so that's me oh. okay cool so yeah thank you know all that stuff will be in the bio whether they are watching on youtube or watching it or listening to the podcast um, you may be able to uh, contact Charles or Todd, however you want to refer to him, um, based on stuff in the bio. So uh, that's it for the show. I did not have an outro. It is over. Thank you.